to do like a a fancy special intro or whatever. We can just use this. Hi, everybody. Welcome to (laughs) um, the 11th episode of Hear No Evil. Episode 11. That's really cool. Um, Let's let's get all the way to 100. And that's that's definitely the goal. Um, And I'm super excited to be joined by my very good friend, Becca, today. Hi, everyone. (laughs) (laughs) And as we just discussed, Becca was feeling um, slightly under the weather yesterday because it was her birthday the day before. So once again, happy birthday, Becca. (laughs) Thank you so much. It was definitely a very fun day. Oh, that's awesome. Did you get anything like really, really great that you're just like super duper excited about? Um, well, so according to my best friend, my boyfriend got me something pretty awesome and I'm not getting that until tonight. So I'm, I'm excited to see what that is. Ooh la la. (laughs) (laughs) That's always, yeah. My boyfriend got me the best present for sure. He got me a, um, a new mixer to use and I'm I'm not even like really 100% sure what mixers do, but I guess they like really improve audio quality and stuff like that. And he got me a really nice one that like connects to two different microphones and my computer. So I was super duper excited about that. So you're like legit. You're like legit now. Yeah, I have two microphones and a mixer. (laughs) So I mean, which for me is pretty cool. Like I didn't think I would ever have all this cool stuff. And then I'm going to get a mic stand pretty soon. Um, so I'll have like a whole little mini studio set up here pretty soon, which will be awesome. <clears throat> yeah, that's so cool. Excited about it. Yeah. But um, so everybody, I invited my friend Becca onto this podcast today. Well, first, maybe we should tell people how we know each other. because <laughs> <that's- laughs> Yeah. So, so I'm sure it's not a surprise to most people, but we also <laughs> met through the lovely Necronomapod um, <laughs> Discord. Yes. That we are both very active in. Um, very active in. <laughs> very active. <laughs> I, it's basically um, our social life at this point. <laughs> essentially, yeah, no, yeah. Real, essentially. Um, oh, and yeah, we just, we got to, we got, to, I think I just messaged her randomly, like, hey, I think you're really cool. Like, just trying to, like, yeah. make friends on here. Oh, my God. Um, you and then we just. Oh, my gosh. And I was so excited when I got that message from you because I thought you were really cool. So when you, when you messaged me, I was like, oh, she thinks I'm cool. <laughs> like, <laughs> <a new> moment. <laughs> I knew, I see, I knew going into this, it was just going to be you and I just like gushing about each other. <laughs> right? like, Here we are. <laughs> the whole entire time. Well, and, and people, listen, one of the reasons why Becca is so cool and so awesome is because of how freaking smart she is. Um, and she just graduated from, I apologize. I don't remember the name of your school. Can you enlighten me? No, so yeah. <laughs> so I, so I haven't graduated. I have three more years until I'm like officially, officially done. Oh, okay. um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, 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 you're good. But I, um, I, after this semester is over, um, I will have qualified for my master's um in clinical psychology and then that is like kind of the stepping stone to my like big degree end goal is I'm uh I'm getting my uh PsyD in clinical psychology that is so badass I love that so much (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's it's, uh it's 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 a long investment but it's it's a good time and it's such a worthy investment too because 
I mean, and I'm sure you agree with me on this, <laughs> um, but I mean, I think we really need to focus on like mental health and psychological well-being like more than ever um, in today's day and age. And it's something that's kind of always been neglected and pushed to the side. And yeah, so I'm just I'm glad that more people like you are out there and being like, you know, hey, this is important. We need intelligent people on the front lines making sure that <laughs> you know, people's brains are being taken care of. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's I, I always think about mental health as you know, why, why do we always take care of people with a visible injury, like a broken arm, but then when someone mm -hmm. tells you that they're feeling depressed, you kind of like shy away from it. So yeah. I'm oh hoping that we can, I'm hoping, I'm hoping that in the in the coming years, we can start to kind of understand mental health as more of it's not like a hidden injury. It's something that we need to be yeah. taking care of. Exactly. And not and not view it through um, such a stigmatized lens, um, because I mean, mm -hmm. yeah, you know, exactly. I, I like to think that it's more understood and more accepted than ever. Um, but at the same time, from personal experiences with people, I know that many, many people as individuals still feel that mental illness is just an excuse um, or it's something that can be overcome with very, very simple Band-Aid solutions. Um, I can't even begin to tell you how many times somebody's response to my anxiety or depression was simply get over it. <laughs> and mm -hmm. you know, yeah, like, oh, if it, if it was that easy, if it was that easy, there wouldn't be programs like mine. So. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And I just look those people in the eye and I'm like, I'm fucking cured. Wow. Who knew that all this time, all I needed to do was get over it. You're a genius. Thank you for your time. Or, you know, you, you always get like, oh, you're just anxious. You're feeling depressed. Why don't you just take a nap? Drink like, some water. Yeah. You know, like that'll like, <laughs> yeah, just drink some water. You know, it'll be fine. Yeah. Like, oh, thank you so much. I never thought of that. Yeah, it's just like so much more complicated than that. And, um, and the reason I especially wanted to have you um, on this episode is because, and I, I don't, I'm not sure if you're like um, particularly interested in one field of psychology or another, but this story um, has a lot to do with kind of like the sociological and psychological impact of being gay in, um, you know, in a world that still hasn't 100% accepted it. Um, and, and I'm sure that, um, throughout your studies, you've probably learned about how mental illness and, um, you know, mental health issues, um, kind of affect LGBTQ people at a higher proportion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That comes up, that comes up very frequently, um, you know, in my, in my field. And, uh, you know, I, I was lucky enough for my lap for my first practicum to be able to work very closely with a lot of LGBTQ identifying children. Um, wow. So of, when you, if you, you don't know, mind my asking, when you say children, how old were they? If you don't mind my asking. Yeah. So, so I would say my youngest, uh, LGBTQ identifying patient was probably 10 or 11. Oh, um, and when I goodness. say that, I mean somebody, yeah. So somebody who would, you know, who is very open to asking questions about, you know, what does it mean to say that I want to be a boy? What does it mean to say that I want to be a girl? What does it mean? Oh, you know, wow. why do people always ask me like, do you have a boyfriend? Like, no, maybe I want a girlfriend. Oh, um, oh, sweet little baby. So hearing, and, yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
<laughs> yeah. Oh so, so, and you know, and they, they may not have necessarily been my patients per se. Um, but the hospital that I was lucky enough to work at for the last couple of months, obviously pre COVID, um, had yeah. a specific, uh, programming for LGBTQ youth. Oh, that's um, wonderful. So it was really cool. And Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, and once a week I got to lead, um, you know, a, a group therapy where we talked about a lot of topics oh. like bullying and family dynamics and oh my goodness. things that were specifically like, yeah, things that were specifically important to the LGBTQ community. Oh my gosh. And yeah. And bullying and family issues are two really, really big things you see in a lot of stories. Um, and interestingly enough, it's not super prevalent in the story we're going to talk about today. In this story, um, you know, Matthew was very well liked and very popular. He had a lot of friends. He was never really very much ridiculed for being um, for being gay. And his family was extremely mm -hmm. loving and accepting of it. So we actually have... <clears throat> a bit of a rare case in that, especially since this was kind of, this was in the nineties back when it still was not as widely accepted as it is now. Um, but before we get to the story at hand, um, let's, so I told you earlier, I had like two quick little news stories I wanted to share with you. Um, so the first, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I wanted to, to get your take on them. So the first story is about, um, a police officer in, I believe it was Fort Lauderdale, uh, Florida, named Crystal Smith. And she was with a bunch of other police officers who were kind of trying to, I don't want to say control a riot, but I mean, I, I understand why police officers like have to be present at some of these protests if they do start to get rowdy. I just don't agree with mm -hmm. the way they're handling it at all. Um, but I mean, I guess yeah, I understand. Yeah. I guess I understand why they're there to an extent, especially if people do start to get, you know, I don't know. But anyway, so they, yes, they were kind of like just monitoring what was going on. And um, one of the other police officers who was with her, a man by the name of Stephen Pahorance, um, he was kind of like surrounded by a group of protesters. He was he was the one who was being aggressive with them. And you you can watch other people can watch the video for themselves and decide this. But did you see the video? And do you agree with me that he was the one kind of getting in their faces? Like, I don't know. But that's how I. Feel. Yeah, I, I believe <laughs> I believe if this is the video I'm thinking of the. Mm -hmm the police officer shoved a protester who was on their knees. Yeah. Yeah. Correct. Yep. Yeah. And he was, yeah. Yeah. That's all that was happening. So the protesters were close to him, but they were not shoving him, throwing anything at him, threatening him. They were chanting, I can't breathe and hands up. Don't shoot. Some of them were kneeling with yeah. their, with their hands up in the air. And so he turns and there's one of these kneeling protesters directly in front of him. And instead of, going around him like he very easily could have he instead very very brutally shoves him to the ground so all of the protesters start yelling and screaming and then this female african-american officer by the name of crystal smith just immediately jumps in and she's got her finger in his face and she's chasing him and screaming yes, at him yep. mm -hmm. oh it, i loved it it I was like <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was it it was it was really cool to see, you know, kind of in the face of all of, you know, all of the 
horribleness that is going on that you know it kind of like there was it was like a it was like a real snap into reality i think for this male cop that got pulled away oh my Um, gosh yeah and he he kind of looks back at her a couple of times like what why are you yelling at me and i mean it's just ridiculous because she she's just like what do you mean why am i yelling at you you're being a fucking asshole um apparently so apparently um, this particular officer, this Stephen Pohorens guy, he's been suspended, thankfully, after that cell phone video um, came out. Um, and then I read a report, um, I read an article by Forbes magazine, so you know, well, it was online, but you know it's, it's pretty reliable if it's from Forbes. Um, apparently mm-hmm. that same officer had been reviewed by the police department's internal affairs unit for using force 79 times in roughly three and a half years. So, yeah, that's a lot. Yeah. um, And he's um, he apparently he has a problem with like pulling his gun on people a lot. Um, And the record from the Internal Affairs Unit showed that he had drawn his weapon 42 times in the past 16 months alone. So he had never fired the weapon. He had never violated any policies directly. However, it was concerning enough that the basically like the. the what's what what word am I looking for here? It wouldn't be called internal affairs. What's the human services? I don't know. What's that thing in offices? The people who deal with harassment. What is that? Human resources. Oh my god! <laughs> Thank you. I fucking blank. <laughs> I was about to say it's what Toby from the office does because that's all I could. Yeah, human resources. <laughs> <laughs> all I could. Think. Oh God, Toby from the office. Anyway, um, but yeah, so he's never like, but but it, it's enough that the human resources, so to speak, of the police are like, hey, we think this guy like has an anger management issue. Um, mm-hmm. so thankfully that guy's been suspended. That's good. Can I just say though, even though I I agree with the effect with the fact that he's been suspended, can I just say I find it ridiculous that he was suspended for shoving somebody and the people who killed Breonna Taylor are still uh, legally police officers. So, yeah. So it's, uh, it's June 19th, Juneteenth as we're recording. And you know what? It's a pretty good damn day to arrest the cops that killed Breonna Taylor. Damn good day to arrest the cops. It is a damn good day. What are the Let's do it. Let's do it right now. Hang on a second. I don't have their names right in front of me. I believe their names were Brett Hankison, Miles Cosgrove, and I'm blanking on the other guy's name. But yeah, they deserve to be uh, they deserve to be fired. They deserve to be charged with murder. Um, so one more really quick thing. This was during the protests in Louisville in response to the Breonna Taylor murder. So this officer by the name of Galen Hinshaw, um, he had somehow gotten separated from the rest of his unit. And he found himself with his back against the wall of a pizzeria standing in front of a huge group of very angry protesters. Um, And I wanted to read... I have the USA Today article right in front of me that details what happened. Um, So Hinshaw's nearest help was still blocks away. The crowd moved closer and the yelling got angrier. Protesters hurled questions at him. 
are you one of the good ones? How do you think we feel? One woman screamed, no justice, no peace. He tried to, he tried to respond, but was drowned out by the cacophony of sirens and yelling. We do care, man. We do care, he said. Hinshaw tried to reason with the crowd. I'm sorry. I'm sorry you feel this way, Hinshaw yelled, trying to make his voice heard over the anger of the crowd. The 32-year-old was scared. It was only going to take one person and everyone would jump in, he knew. So he was in a very scary position. And like, I have this thing where like mob mentality or the idea of people of like a mob getting so worked up that they just do something like fucking horrifying. You know, if you've ever seen that in movies and shit like that, like, I don't know why, why this is, but that just scares me so much. And Mm -hmm. like the, the idea of staring down this angry crowd of people like, I'm sure he was absolutely terrified, you know? Yeah, yeah, I, I can't even imagine. So what ended up happening, imagine. yeah, oh my gosh. And this guy, you know, I just, I feel it's important to say, like, you know, nothing has come out about this officer that he's not a good person. From what I understand, you know, he's a husband and a father. He has a family, like, you know, he just seems like a nice, normal guy who became a police officer for the right reasons. You know what I mean? So, Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, we need more. We need more cops like that. So what ended up happening was this man by the name of, oh, where did he go? (laughs) This man by the name of um, Darren Lee Jr. kind of just pushed himself through and placed himself between Um, Galen and the rest of the crowd. And when Darren did this, another man saw what he had done and he joined him. So eventually what happened was there, there was a human shield of six men forming around Galen, keeping him separated from the crowd. Um, And the protesters weren't super, um, they weren't super supportive of it at first. They were like, how can you protect him? Like, you know, but they, they didn't move. They didn't, they did not let down. In fact, they locked arms and they just stood completely still and solid until um, a police cruiser came by. And then they actually escorted the officer to the police cruiser and made sure he got in safe and okay. So the entire thing lasted no more than two minutes. But I mean, I just think that was like a really powerful moment of you know, so, so many people are angry at police officers and I think rightfully so. And I've said many times Mm -hmm. before that I don't want to cop bash. I really, really don't because I do believe that there are good police officers out there. Crystal Smith is one of the, one of them, this Galen Henshaw guy seems like he's really one of them. Um, -hmm. and they, I don't believe they deserve to be hurt in any way. I don't think protesters should be hurting anybody but that really hasn't been happening and that whole thing has been really blown out of proportion um way more protesters have been injured by police than the other way around so everybody just get that fact straight right now um (laughs) yeah it's, it's true it's true but yeah yeah for sure yeah and but basically what the guys who did this ended up saying was they were like um we we just saw someone in trouble and it was the right thing to do and um and one of them was was uh was quoted as saying if i can hold my brothers accountable if i can march with my brothers and turn against them to say this isn't right 
That's where the accountability comes in. In the end, that's all we're asking for. What we need is for those great cops to hold their brothers and sisters accountable at all times. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, he was, I, I just think that's really powerful. They were like, no, we're going to, we're going to do the right thing in this situation. And we're hoping that, that more cops will start doing the right thing when the situation is presented to them. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and, you know, I, it's, it's, it would be really easy for me to sit here with all of my, you know, white female privilege Oh, absolutely. and say, yeah. you know, it's, you know, I, I have, you know, it's, I don't, I don't understand. And like, you know, truly, truthfully, I will never understand the anger and the unrest. No, no um, because, never you know, that's just not something, it's not something that I've ever had to experience. Absolutely. And, you know, what I, yeah. what I just, what I just keep saying and what I keep thinking is, yeah, of course they're angry. Of course, you know, of course this is happening. Of course they're angry. I would be um, angry And the best too. thing that I think that, exactly. And the best thing that, you know, I, you know, that I can do and that other, you know, individuals can do is just be there to listen and be there to support. Oh, absolutely. Um, and, absolutely. And be, and, you know, be as strong, strong of an advocate as you possibly can. I could not agree more with that. I think, you know, I think as a, as a, as a white person, you know, I'm, you and I are female and like, I don't know if you've ever experienced any sort of, you know, any, anything negative in life from being female. I, I have before just, you know, the, typical yeah, thing I, yeah that. there's, there are several moments in my life that I can think about, you know, yeah, having, yeah, mm-hmm. having some, having, having bias put on me because I, because I'm female. Right, exactly. So you and I can relate in, in a way but we could never relate to the, I don't know, to just the rage of generations upon generations of just, you know, I don't even know how to describe it, of of injustice, I guess. I mean, it's so much deeper than that, but I, that's the most succinct way I can put it. Um, but, you know, you and I and so many other people out there, we try so hard to be allies because we are angry. We are moved by this. We don't think it's right. We want it to stop. We don't want people to yeah. be killed because they are black. And we don't want people to be killed because they are gay. Absolutely not. There, um, and I, I want to point this out just really quick. There's been a string of, of murders of black trans women that really needs to have some attention called to it. Um, because yes, 100% black, tra- black lives matter, black trans lives matter. Oh my God. Yes. All black lives matter because they do. Um, and especially black trans women have been, um, you know, so- society speaking targeted very, very much with violent crime. I mean, so many black trans women are murdered every year. It's absolutely horrifying and disgusting. So yeah, we definitely, and I want to do like a mini sode about no, I, I'll do a full a full ass episode on a full ass episode. A full ass episode on all of that because yeah, it's really it's really making me angry. So today we're going to be talking about Matthew Shepard, and I'm just curious: Have you did did you know a lot about this case before I told you that's what we were going to be talking about? Um, so I didn't know you know, the details of the case. Um, mm-hmm. It's definitely a name that it's, it's a name that I've heard before. Um, <laughs> but no, I was, I, I'm, I was really excited when you mentioned that this was a case that you wanted to cover because it, it has been something that's come up, but nothing that, but yeah. I'm not as familiar with it. 
Yeah. So this, this case first came to my attention when I was a freshman in college, my first semester of freshman year. I don't know if I've ever told you this. <laughs> my first semester of freshman year, I was actually at Ball State. Um, I had oh, got, okay. yeah, I had got accepted there and I was super excited and I went there to study, um, to study journalism. Actually, that was what I wanted to initially do. I changed my major like five times in college. <laughs> so I actually, I actually graduated with a general studies degree, but I have like all these oh, classes. Nice. Yeah. I have all these classes in like English and education and psychology and sociology. So it's like this weird amalgamation of stuff. Um, <laughs> but back then I was a journalism major and I was taking just like a, you know, a pre- one of an extracurricular theater class, you know, one of those dumb classes they make you take. But I, I was excited yes. about it because I like theater. Um, I really like theater a lot. And we read the play, The Laramie Project, which is actually um, a play written by a man by the name of Moses or Moises. It's spelled M-O-I-S-E-S. -E so I think it's pronounced Moises. Um, if I'm pronouncing that wrong, yeah. I apologize. <laughs> I, I have no idea, but that sounds right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm just, I, again, phonetically, that's how that makes sense to me. But he, he wrote a beautiful play called The Laramie Project about this case. And I highly recommend it to anybody who enjoys reading plays. It, I mean, it reads like a book, you know, it just, it's very, it's very moving. It's very powerful. And I kind of told this story before on this episode, on, on this podcast, but um, literally I remember I read that book. I think I read the play like all in one night. He gave it to us. Um, cause that class was on a Friday. Um, so he gave that book to us and I was like, Oh, I'll read a little bit of this tonight. And while my entire dorm room was out partying and having fun, I was sitting in my room crying, reading the Laramie project, <laughs> 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 eating ramen noodles. <laughs> I love that. I love yeah. ramen noodles. Oh, me too. Me too. Yeah. That was my college experience. <laughs> um, so yeah, ever since I, I read that story, um, it's just, this has been really uh, just an important case to me. So let's get started. And like I said, literally just cut me off. Just, just come in with and say whatever you need to say. All right. Cause <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, it's, you know what I've noticed? It's just difficult when you can't see somebody's face because then you can kind of yeah. like tell when they're about to talk and then you can, you know, stop talking and let them talk. It's difficult when you can't see them. So <laughs> that's why I literally just jump in and it's totally fine. Okay. All right. Yeah. All right. So Matthew Wayne Shepard was born on December 1st, 1976 in Casper, Wyoming to his mother, Judy and his father, Dennis. His brother, Logan, was born five years later. Logan and Matt were close throughout their whole lives, despite being almost exact opposites of each other. Judy states in the documentary, oh, by the way, the documentary I watched for this is called um, Matt Shepard is a Friend of Mine. Uh, watch it if you want to be sad forever. Um, <laughs> don't watch it. Do watch it. But I'll put that one right on my list. <laughs> right. Oh, good God. Oh, good God, Becca. I was a it was horrible. I cried so hard, but just because it's, it's beautiful. It really is. Um, so yeah, um, Judy states in that documentary, Matt Shepard is a friend of mine that Logan was tall, athletic, shy and reserved, kind of quiet. He was like the strong silent type. Whereas Matt mm -hmm. 
who was very short and very skinny, was extremely talkative, friendly, and outgoing. He was just like a little firecracker. Um, there's an adorable moment in the documentary of footage in the documentary of home footage from Logan when he was maybe like 10 years old, and he's saying how excited he is because his big brother is coming home tomorrow. And then he pans to a picture of Matt that he has pinned to his wall, and he says, "There's my big brother. He's awesome." It's just so. Oh. So cute. I mean, it's so genuine. I told you, I told you I was gonna cry during this, but damn, I didn't oh, think you were gonna have me crying this early. Oh good, it gets worse. It, I'm about to hit you with all of the adorable childhood feels. Um okay, I'm, I'm I'm strapping in, Danny. I'm ready. Yeah, strap yours. I hope you have tissues. <laughs> <laughs> oh god um but there's and then there's more home footage of the two boys just like teasing each other and laughing at each other it's not but it's always like really cute sweet it's never like you know brothers being mean to each other and punching each other and calling each other assholes you know it's it's literally just like i don't know um but his father dennis recalls the story of Matt's beloved stuffed bunny named Oscar and how Matt took Oscar literally everywhere with him. And they, he still has Oscar to this day. Like the interviewer showed Dennis holding this little stuffed bunny named Oscar. It just broke my heart. Um, Matt was also known to find and collect beautiful rocks in the neighborhood and leave them in neighbors' mailboxes as a kind and friendly gesture. He would like paint them, put stickers on them and then leave them in people's mailboxes as a little gift. And everybody always knew if they found a pretty rock in their mailbox that it was from Matt. Um, from the oh, time that's that, the cute, that is the cutest thing I've ever heard. I know. Well, you want to know how it started. It started because Matt actually wrote people letters on pieces of paper and they were just like these cute little short letters just like hi how are you i hope you're doing well have a good day just like really sweet cute little stuff and he put them in people's mailboxes and his grandpa was i guess a, a postmaster general or something like that like or a, he worked for the you know uh, mail company in some capacity and he told matt he was like you, you can't do that i'm sorry it's illegal like you can't put just like a letter with no envelope and no stamp in people's mailboxes <laughs> so matt was like oh. okay and he started collecting rocks and <laughs> put those in there instead oh. i mean i know he was just the sweetest little angel from like his whole entire life um from the time he was about eight, Judy began to wonder if Matt was gay. Um, there was a story that Dennis shared of him trying to teach Matt to play baseball, but Matt just got totally enthralled with this fuzzy little caterpillar he found on a tree. And so he and his dad just sat in the grass and played with this caterpillar all afternoon instead of playing baseball. Um, and then- well, like, How does that give you an inkling that your son is gay? play with a caterpillar well yeah yeah i mean that i kind of agreed with that too i was like dennis just because your son doesn't want to play baseball doesn't mean he's gay like <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe like, he just likes bugs you know but 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 dennis the way he put it it was because matt was just like so gentle i guess like he just had such a okay. gentle nature about him that didn't seem typical of a little boy which i kind of yeah, understand in a way i don't know but i've met a lot of little boys roles, that makes right sense. right right i've met a lot of little boys at the school i work at that are just that's just their personality they're just more quiet more gentle they aren't 
big into, you know, rough housing or being super duper loud and noisy. I don't know. But 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 this one makes a little bit of sense. Um, Matt dressed up as Dolly Parton for Halloween more than once as a child. That was his favorite Halloween costume. <laughs> and awesome. yeah, he would wear like a, um, a big blonde wig and this like flashy outfit and carry around a guitar. Yeah, so I, I can imagine that. That's that's incredible, honestly. Um, there was just like a lot of really cute stuff from Matt's childhood, like um, pictures of him starting a lemonade stand. Um, he was in lots of school plays. There was this adorable little clip of him. He looks like he's maybe like nine years old, dressed as Abraham Lincoln on stage, and he's holding like a little scroll, you know, and he goes, let the slaves be free. Like, it was just like, oh, oh my God. <laughs> oh, it was so cute. And I just had to share that because it's Juneteenth, so... Yeah, Matt and Matt also like was from was kind of interested in politics and like humanism and the idea of social justice and equality from a very young age. Um, a guidance counselor at Matt's school named Walt Bolden believes he may have been one of the first people Matt came out to in his life. And Matt was absolutely terrified of what his family would think and that they would reject him. Bolden says he thinks Matt was just starting to become more comfortable and confident with who he was and was making connections and friendships with people he could trust, but he wasn't ready to make that big step and be openly gay, which makes sense because they were living in Wyoming. And I don't know if Wyoming is yeah. a traditionally conservative state, but I mean, it gives me that impression, but I could be wrong. I don't know. Yeah, I don't really know much about Wyoming. If you're out there, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> I mean, it was what it it was what like the early like early nineties, late eighties. Like, I can't imagine. Yeah, you know, I can imagine mm -hmm. why he wouldn't want to just like come oh, out yeah. to the world. So I I get that. It was not. It, it was not nearly as easy, you know, back then. And and I mean. You know, it was super common back then for families to just completely reject um, a child because they were gay and just cut them off and kick them out. And I don't know if Matt worried that that would happen, but I do, I do think he was worried that his dad would be disappointed in him. Um, so, you yeah, know, of course, like I said before, he was just kind of starting to become to, to like really grow into himself and become more confident while he was in high school. So it was pretty devastating when he was a junior um, in the summer of 1994, his father was offered a job in Saudi Arabia and the whole Shepherd family moved to, wow. yeah, yeah. They all moved to Duran, Saudi Arabia. And the reason for this is because um, they lived in Wyoming because Dennis was actually, he works for an oil company in Wyoming. And then he got okay. his job working for an oil company in Saudi Arabia. Yeah. So they moved over there right as Matt was about to start his senior year of high school, which I mean, that's a shitty thing to do to a teenager. Oh, yeah. That yeah. sucks so much. I know. I felt so bad for him. Even though the family was living in Duran, there were no American high schools there for Matt to attend. And so Matt and his family chose for him to finish high school um, at a boarding school in Switzerland called the American School in Switzerland. So very literal. <laughs> That's literally what it's called. Um, uh, so, Great. yeah. 
Yeah, easy to remember, right? So he got to go to this really yeah. cool boarding school in Switzerland where many children of American business people um, living over, uh, living and working overseas went to school. So he met people of all races there, you know, people from China, people from the Middle East, people from every European country, uh, people from different parts of America. I mean, it was just such a diverse and eclectic mix of people. and. Matt absolutely loved that because he loved diversity. He loved getting to know lots of different people. He was super into um, learning about different cultures and languages. He took um, Italian and German courses and actually became quite fluent in those. And I think he was fluent in Arabic as well because he uh, his family lived in Saudi Arabia. Um, he went to so many different countries while he was living at this school. He went to Italy, Japan, um, you know, all, basically all over the world. Um, and of course he participated in even more theater because he was just a natural at it. Um, you know, he was just a really, really good person. He was voted friendliest person in his senior class. He was a peer counselor who helped out other kids who were going through stuff. <sighs> he, yeah, it's, it, this is what makes this next part so sad because Matt was just such a mm -hmm. loved and, you know, incredible person. In 1995, when he was still a senior during a high school trip to Morocco, Matt was beaten, robbed, and gang raped by a group of six men in an alleyway. Yeah. Shit. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, the story goes that he, um, he just kind of wanted to go out and explore the city a little bit. And, you know, it might not have been the safest thing for him to do, but and I mean, not victim blaming at all here, you know, of, of course not. But, and yeah, it might not have been the safest thing for him to do, but he really just wanted some time to go and be independent. And at this time he was closeted still. And his friends who went on this trip with him think that maybe, you know, he just wanted some time to like go out and, you know, and be himself and just have some time to have fun. And he, he really loved experiencing different cultures, you know, and he's in this super awesome city. He's like, I want to go see what the nightlife is like. Um, but he, he's, he got pulled in, into an alleyway and this happened to him. So his friends, Kate Chill and Gina Van Hoff, recall Matt pounding on their hotel room door at two in the morning screaming and they open the door to find him shirtless and shoeless all beat up and bloody and he falls crying and screaming into his friend Kate's arms and tells them he's been raped. Um, Matt was never quite the same after this. He was eventually diagnosed with depression and PTSD and he suffered from horrible panic attacks and nightmares. So um, That's so tough. That's so I tough. know, I know. And you and I have had tons and tons of education on trauma and the effects of trauma on the psyche. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, have you, so have you um, done any, not research, I guess would be the word, but are you like familiar with like PTSD and like the, you know, the symptoms and everything like that? <laughs> Unfortunately, I am. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it 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 depends on the person, um, mm -hmm. but just P PTSD just wreaks havoc on your entire system. It um, does, and, yeah. You know, it it, it it affects your psyche, it affects your body, it affects the chemistry of your brain. Mm -hmm. um, like 
like PTSD not only leads just like a severe psychological scar, but like it it just like wreaks havoc on your entire well being. It does, um, yeah, yeah. And for, it's and, for, and and it's go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. sorry. I was just gonna say that like no, it's okay that you know trauma like trauma is something that's been really studied heavily since you know World War One, World War Two, mm-hmm. um, and you know with you know because it used to be called shell shock, and then we eventually yeah. um, you know started st- like understanding that it didn't just happen with people that came back from war. Um, oh my god! Yeah, and, mm-hmm. you know these. And, and, you know, so there's not only do you deal with the direct symptoms of PTSD, like nightmares and flashbacks and, um, you know, just trauma triggers and everything mm-hmm. and avoidance, all that nasty yeah. stuff. But I mean, you also deal with so much like, like, co- like comorbidity. So like accompanying yeah, exactly. diagnoses on top of the PTSD. So. Yeah. And especially PTSD related to, um, a sexual crime is is very very rough because you're not only dealing with you know the fact that you had to go through that but you were you know a sexual uh, like sexual assault is a very very like traumatic horrible thing to go through so you're also dealing with the fact that you feel shame because of that and you're you're dealing with the aftermath of not feeling safe or not feeling feeling like you feeling like you belong in your own body anymore. Like a lot of people who experience that. Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to say, and especially in, you know, LGBTQ individuals, because unfortunately this does happen a lot in the past. Oh my God. Um, Yeah. They are at an especially high risk for sexual assault, unfortunately. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, this poor kid is already closeted, like already trying so hard to figure out who he is. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, he gets, he gets attacked by, you know, six older men. Oh um, God. It's God. just disgusting and he horrible. He deserved the yeah. world. He did. He was such a sweet, sweet kid. I mean, and he loved people so much. Like he really just gave his whole heart to the world. And it just makes me so sad because he was no longer as confident and outgoing as he had once been after all of this. Um, his mother noted that even his posture seemed to change and he just seemed smaller and meeker from that day forward. So it just really, yeah, it just really messed with him physically and emotionally. Like you said, uh, during this whole ordeal, Matt had never told any of his friends or family that he was gay. He finally came out to his mother while attending Catawba college in North Carolina. So he graduated from Tassis the American school in Switzerland. And then he came back to the uh, States to attend college. Um, He came out to his mother. He begged her not to tell Dennis, his father, but Judy ended up disclosing that information because she was worried that if Matt told Dennis and he wasn't prepared for it, that he would say something out of shock that he couldn't take back. That would be hurtful. You know what I mean? Um, Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Kind of makes sense, I guess. So when Matt finally did tell his father, Dennis made it abundantly clear to him that his son's sexual orientation didn't matter in the least. Um, he said in the documentary, um, you know, what he, someone asked him, when Matt told you he, he was gay, what was your response? And he just kind of looked, looked at the camera and he was like, I kind of went, okay, and? You know, because I just wanted him to know, like, okay, that's part of who you are, and I love you for who you are. He's my son, and he always will be. Like, it was just a very sweet, wonderful moment. So Matt Matt felt reassured now. He felt reassured by the love of his parents, 
you know, he, he had their confidence and their support. And so he slowly started coming out to some of his friends and they were all very loving and accepting of it. In fact, a lot of them were like, yeah, we kind of, we kind of (laughs) knew like we just, we always had a feeling that, you know, but Matt was struggling quite a bit emotionally due to the complexity of facing this new life as an openly gay man in a hostile world. And of course the trauma from his sexual assault. So he went through a period where he lived in Denver, Colorado. Uh, He had friends there like he did everywhere, but his friends from this time period say being Matt's friend was not easy. When he was happy and feeling good about life, he was the life of the party and the city was his playground. He was tons of fun, but he would experience these intense depressive lows where he wouldn't eat or sleep or take care of himself. He would let rotting food and dirty clothes and trash pile up in his apartment. Um, It was just not good. And I have definitely heard of this in people who are experiencing like deep, deep depression. Um, Oh yeah. 100%. Yeah. This is very common. Your your physical, your physical space starts to become a manifestation of what you're feeling inside. Absolutely. I could not have said it better myself. And you don't see the point in taking care of yourself because you don't see the point in anything anymore. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so it's, and you know, people, people question like, oh, like how can you live in that filth? It's like, you literally, you don't see it. Like it's not even there to you. Cause you just, it hasn't even, it's not even registered as like an issue for you. Exactly. Because you are so internalized within your own depression with whatever is going on inside. Um, and he actually was hospitalized during this time for severe depression and suicidal ideation. And there there are rumors, and I need to make it clear to people, it's just allegations, it's just rumors and stuff like that, um, that um, he was dabbling in drugs during this time. But there is no proof of that. He was in Colorado. Maybe he was smoking some weed. I mean, whatever. Everybody was, you know, so... Um, but there are allegations that maybe he did, he did like to drink a lot and he would sometimes self-medicate with alcohol. But again, that's very common for people who are going through severe depression. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, I I think he was just doing that to numb the pain. Like so many people do when I was severely depressed, not to be TMI, but I would just like drink a shit ton and like, then I wouldn't be sad anymore because I was too drunk to be sad, you know? <laughs> like, yeah, that's how yeah, it works. I mean, and that's, it's so, it's so common. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's way more common than people ever like want to talk about. Oh yeah, absolutely. So, and you know, and if, if, if you are out there and you're experiencing these things, if you're like, I don't want to take care of myself, I'm self-medicating with weed or alcohol because I also self-medicated with weed. Um, (laughs) You know, and here's the thing is that weed is a wonderful drug until it's the only thing that you do all day long. When that starts to happen, that's not good. (laughs) Um, But yeah, yeah, if you know, if you're experiencing any of this stuff, like please do not be ashamed to talk to somebody and to get help because you deserve so much better than that. You really do. Therapy is good. Normal therapy is good for you. Yes. I literally good for everyone. I there's this really cute sweater I have saved in my Instagram somewhere, but it's just a really cute hoodie that says therapy is cool. 
and <laughs> wait okay hang on is it is it from the company like self-care love or something yeah 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 i love them yeah, I, have the, I have the exact same one I have, I have the exact <gasps> are you kidding oh my gosh <laughs> that's awesome yeah i want that hoodie so bad okay i'm gonna get it and then we can be um therapy twinsies it'll be fun yeah <laughs> <laughs> Because I'm not going to get my PhD in psychology because I just don't have the patience for that much schooling, but I am going to get my master's. So that way I can actually like practice therapy because right now I can't. I can only do like, you know, little like, oh, how do you feel today activities and stuff like that with kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. All right, so back to Matt. So Matt was eventually talked into moving back to Laramie by his friends and that guidance counselor who he stayed connected with throughout his life. He was like, like all of his friends, they were like, listen, dude, we think you need to come back to Laramie. You need to be around people who know you. You need to come home. Like you got to be with your support system. And Matt was like, okay, yeah, yeah you're right. So he comes back, um, he attends school at the University of Wyoming, where he was a political science major with a minor in languages, our sweet, smart little nerd. We just, yes, I, I see it. Oh, by the way, I need to say this now before I forget because, okay, and you can laugh at me if you want. Are you at all familiar with um, the Marvel movies? <laughs> I'm going somewhere with this, I promise. Have yeah, you ever I've seen all of them and I've seen all of them in the movie theaters, Danny. Oh my god. Okay, yes. So you're you're familiar with the first Captain America movie? It's my favorite of it's my favorite. <gasps> it's my favorite too. Oh my god. Yeah, it's it's my favorite right up there with Guardians of the Galaxy. Sorry, continue. Oh my god. I I didn't know that you um shared my Captain America feels. I'm so happy. This he's, makes me love you my... even more. He's my all-time fave. He's my all-time fave too. Oh my god! Wait, I did we just become best friends? Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. But yeah. So, oh my god, you know who Matt reminds me of? Matt reminds me of pre-Super Soldier Serum Steve when he was small. Oh yes, when he but grabbed, he had he grabbed a trash can lid. To oh my god! Himself. That's Matt. Oh my God, I'm gonna start crying. But that is Matt. Like that, oh my God. <laughs> like that's who he was. He didn't back down. He stood up for other people. He was so strong in his beliefs. Like he didn't let the fact that he was small stop him. Cause he had such a big fucking heart. Like, oh my God, I'm so emotional. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, that's who he reminds me of. My favorite um, I'm sorry, I'll get back to the story after this, but my favorite part of any Marvel movie any ever is from the first Captain America movie, and it's when they're on the base, and uh, Tommy Lee Jones takes that um, that that grenade that doesn't work. And he jumps on top of it. And yeah. he jumps on top of it, and he puts himself, and he's like, everyone get away, get back. Like, that was the moment I was like, you, forever. <laughs> yep. you fun. are yeah. <laughs> i love him so much okay i need to get off of my marvel feels so um <laughs> so matt was elected as a student representative for the wyoming environmental council which was really cool um he was an active participant in his college's lgbtq alliance which i was also part of when i was in college um, I highly recommend that to any college student out there. Join the LGBTQ Alliance. It's super great. You will meet the best people there. I guarantee it. Like, 
that is a surefire way to make friends when you start college, yep. join the LGBTQ Alliance. Cause like everyone there is awesome. Um, and he was actually a mentor to other gay students who were struggling with coming to terms with their sexuality. So he was using his own experience and struggles to help other people. Cause that's just the kind of person he was. Um, so, and again, that counselor I mentioned before, states that just a few weeks before his death, Matt had told him that he was finally beginning to feel safe in Laramie. Oh my God, Danny. I'm sorry. Danny. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's about oh, to get okay, much, much okay, worse. Okay. Just rip, just rip off the bandaid. I'm ready. Yeah. Well, yeah, you better be cause we're, we're there. We're at the night. So Okay, rip it off. I'm here. I'm right. Ready. I'm I'm angry. All right. I'm I'm angry that I don't have any alcohol. I understand that it's only one in the afternoon, but <laughs> I've had I've had way too much coffee today and not enough food, so my nerves Ugh. are already fried. Let's do this. Yeah, same. Big big same. All right, here we go. Um, on October 6, 1998, Matt called a former teacher of his from the school in Switzerland, who he had remained in contact with over the years, and told her that he had just had the best day ever at school, and he absolutely loved his life on campus. He loved his new friends, all the projects he was involved in. He was just on top of the world. That evening, he attended a meeting of his campus's LGBTQ alliance, um, they were actually in the middle of finalizing plans for a big event that they were going to throw downtown to raise awareness, maybe get some donations for, you know, um, organizations to help LGBTQ people. You know, he was really he was doing the damn thing. Um, and after after his fun, successful day, he decided he wasn't quite ready to go home and instead went out for a drink at the Fireside Lounge, which was a popular bar in downtown Laramie. So there was a bartender there by the name of Matt Galloway. He was familiar with Matt and he had seen him come in many times to sit at the bar and have a few drinks. And that's exactly what Matt did. He came in and ordered a beer, sat at the bar. Around 11 p.m., two men by the names of Russell Henderson and Aaron McKinney walked into the bar where they proceeded to buy a pitcher of beer with dimes and nickels. Um, I mean, Aaron, we've, all, we've all been there. We we've have all been there. Been there. <laughs> I, I've done that. Not a, not a pitcher, but I've definitely bought drinks with just uh -huh. coins before. <laughs> um, uh, both Aaron and Russell were kind of falling on hard times. They were unemployed at the moment, and they had both experienced their own struggles in life. Russell's childhood had been rife with abuse and violence at the hands of his father and alcoholic mother. Uh, Aaron's mother had actually abandoned him when he was young and the grandparents that he had been, you know, dumped on would often punish him by locking him in the basement for hours. So, I mean, neither of them had a super awesome childhood. Um, Aaron and Russell had become friends as children and Russell was unfailingly loyal to Aaron in everything they did and seemed to follow him around almost dutifully. So you can kind of imagine this relationship a little bit. Um, oh, yes. Yes. Yeah, Russell is very much the um, submissive in this in this friendship. Both men had uh -huh. a history. Sounds like it. Oh yeah, absolutely. Both men had a history of drug abuse. Meth was meth was a huge problem um, in Wyoming at this time, um, and both of them both of them had you know used meth before. Um, and they, you know, they had a history of petty crimes, a little bit of you know a bar fight brawl or 
you know, a fight in the street every now and then. Um, Aaron McKinney in particular was often referred to as a bad seed. So when Aaron and Russell spotted the five foot two, 110 pound, well-dressed and well-kept Matt, they immediately assessed him as an easy target and they just immediately knew he was gay. They went into the bathroom to form a plan together and decided they were going to pretend to be gay to gain Matt's trust and lure him to their truck where they would proceed to rob him. So, oh, yeah. I don't like this. Oh, it's, I don't like this. Just prepare yourself, okay? Uh, right. The bartender, Matt Galloway, remembers seeing Aaron and Russell approach Matt and begin a conversation with him. And Matt was friendly and talkative as always. He didn't seem scared, he didn't seem intimidated. You know, he was just chatting him up. Uh, the bartender also recalls that Matt had not been at the bar for very long at this point and had only had one or two drinks. So he was definitely not drunk. Um, not long after introducing themselves to Matt, Aaron and Russell offered him a ride home and Matt accepted. All right. Trigger warning. Once in the truck, Aaron claims that Matt triggered a quote unquote gay panic within Aaron when Matt touched his knee and leaned forward and asked him, when will we get to your place? Aaron's lawyers would uh, later, uh, which Matt uh, wouldn't, wait. I mean, but here's the thing is that if Matt did do that, it's not his fault because you were pretending to be gay. He thought you were yeah, gay. You you lured him. You okay. Oh, I'm so angry. He, I know. He lured him into the truck by pretending yeah. to be gay. By pretending to be gay. Yeah. Um, so Aaron oh, and because oh, and because it got too real for you, you decided yeah. to murder somebody. Yeah, yeah. There was also there was also reports in other places that Aaron stated that Matt like also licked his ear or whatever. And I'm like, Matt wouldn't do that. Like, I don't even think I just I'm I'm going to throw out my theory here without even like you getting to like the gory part of all of this yet, that yeah. there was probably some repressed sexuality going on. Oh. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I, don't, I, think I, don't so. think, I don't think that's, I don't think that's flying way too out of left field. I think most of us here can probably deduce that through context yeah. clues. There's right. actually, right, there's, continue. there's actually a little bit of proof of that and I will get to it. So I'm glad you brought that up. And I definitely agree with you. Um, Aaron's lawyers would later argue in trial that when he was a child, Aaron was allegedly bullied and sexually abused by an older boy. So that's why he's like, oh, that like triggered something in me. Um, this and but there's no proof okay. of that. It should be stated. Um, this is when Aaron told Matt, we aren't gay and you're about to get jacked up. Uh, Russell drove the truck as Aaron began to beat Matt with the butt of his 357 Magnum and demanded he hand over his wallet, which Matt immediately did. He only had $20 in his wallet. So. I mean, they were doing all of this for 20 fucking dollars. But I mean, it was it was more than that at this point. Um, it, w it was not just about the money. Aaron continued. No no. no, no, not at all. Aaron continued to assault Matt as Russell drove them further out into the desolate Wyoming darkness until they eventually came to a stop at the side of the road by a wooden fence. They pulled Matt from the truck and took his watch. Matt struggled against his captors and tried to get away but he was just too small and they overpowered him and tied him to the fence with his hands behind his back. Aaron then took his gun and proceeded to pistol whip Matt in the head and face over and over again, striking Matt in the skull 20 times. 
As he did so, Matt begged for his life, but Aaron only taunted him, calling him a faggot and saying, it's Gay Awareness Week, right before striking him again. Matt's skull was fractured in four places and the fatal blow was struck behind his left ear. The butt of the gun came down so hard, it crushed his brain stem and tore his ear away from his head. They then took his shoes and left him there to freeze and bleed in the bitterly cold night for 18 hours. Huh. Okay. You okay. Sorry. Huh. Yeah, no, no, don't, don't apologize. This, this story, this story needs to be told. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So there's a lot of repressed anger going Ooh. on. Oh, you don't do that to somebody for $20. You don't. You also don't just like wake up one morning and say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to pistol whip somebody 20 times and Ugh. tear their brainstem. And tie them to a fence and leave them there for dead. I mean, it's horrific. Yeah, I, 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 I'm going to, I'm going to throw up the bullshit flag on. Yeah, real, like, real fucking high. A plot to rob him. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, oh, it's disgusting. Also, like, you guys are so cool for beating up a 5 to 110 yeah. kid. You're you, so cool. Oh, my God. Com I mean, completely helpless. I really hope that you, I really hope you feel like a man. I really hope you do. That is the definition of, like, fragile white toxic masculinity right there like it's just it's the oh. most disgusting thing i can imagine and and you want to know so I'll, I'll get to what happened to matt of course but immediately after this russell and um aaron drove back into town they have matt's wallet they have his driver's license so now they're like we're gonna go to his address and we're gonna rob his house um and oh they god yeah, and they stop and they end up getting into a fight with these two other guys, basically like in the middle of the street. Um, and I don't really, yeah, I wasn't really going to go into this too much, but this is how they got caught. So I should go into it. Um, but yeah, so they get into a fight with these two random guys and um, Aaron hits one of the guys in the head with the same gun that he just used to pistol whip Matt. He hits this other guy, um, cracks his head open. And then the other guy pulls out like a big stick, like a club-like sort of instrument. I'm not really sure. That's what it said in the article, that it was like a club or something like that. Um, but yeah, Aaron and Russell just fucking like ran away after that because they're just a bunch of, you know, they're just a bunch of cowards. The only reason. Yeah. They so when they when they get faced with dudes that are their actual own size, you know. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but oh. it's a good it's a good thing in a way that that happened because um, that's you know the cops were called. They looked into Aaron's truck, and that's when they found. I mean, there was blood all over the back seat from Matt. Matt's shoes were in there. His watch was in there. His wallet. His you know card. His ID was in there. I mean, they were tied to Matt immediately. So that was the one good thing that came out of that. Um, but yeah, so the next morning, just after just after sunrise, a bicyclist found Matt's bloody and beaten body. He was barely clinging to life. And in fact, the cyclist had thought Matt was a scarecrow until he noticed the slight rising and falling of his chest and the horrible sound of his shallow labored breathing. So Matt is still alive, but he's unconscious. And from what oh I understand, and from what I understand, his brain stem is still intact but it's literally the only thing keeping him alive. It is regulating the most basic body functions at this point. Yeah. Um, 
It's just barely keeping him alive. Uh, Sheriff's Deputy Reggie Flutie was the first official to arrive on the scene. (sighs) I hate this part. And she recalls how Matt's face was completely covered in blood except for two streaks on his cheeks where his tears had washed the blood away. Ugh, I hate that Mm. so much. He said Mm. she, yeah, it was bad. It was bad. So he was transported to the hospital. Matt's parents were in Saudi Arabia when they learned of the attack. But thankfully, they were able to get back to the U.S. within a day, um, and they were able to go to Matt's bedside. Um, But like I said, at the time, his brain stem was literally the only thing keeping him alive. He had about a dozen small lacerations around his head, face, and neck. Um, And, I mean, from the second he got to the hospital, they were like, I'm sorry, but there's nothing we can do for him. He was on life support. Uh, the machine was basically breathing for him. So his family didn't want to see him that way, especially his little brother, Logan, but his mom had to tell him like, I'm sorry, but this is, this is the last time you're ever going to see him. You know, like you have, you have to see him like this because you have to say goodbye. Like it was just horrible. Um, so what ended up, what ended up happening was Dennis went back to their family home And he just grabbed a bunch of Matt's childhood things and a bunch of his stuff to bring back to the hospital in kind of like a desperate attempt to maybe like wake him up, I guess. But he also knew he wasn't going to wake up and he, he wanted him to be surrounded by things he had loved. And he particularly tried to find Matt's stuffed bunny Oscar that I had brought up before. Oh my God. I'm sorry. Are you okay? (laughs) Yeah, I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm just really in my feels right now. Me too. Me too. Here's the thing is that Dennis couldn't find Oscar anywhere. And he was extremely upset about this at first, but he was able to find Oscar after Matt had died. And he kind of took that as a sign that Matt had been like, you hold on to Oscar. You you take care of him for me, you know? Um, And I'm just going to I'm just going to say this right now. I know that a lot of people are not religious and it's totally okay if you are not. I don't care if you are um, atheist, Muslim, Jewish, Buddhist, Wicca, Satanist, Christian, you know, whatever. I really do not care as long as you're a nice person. I I do believe in God to an extent. I don't consider myself Catholic or Christian. I've kind of created my own my own spirituality based on what I believe is right, you know, just because I don't Mm -hmm. fully, I don't fully believe with Catholicism anymore, the way it's been presented in the world. Um, so, but I, I don't know. I, I do, I do believe in God to an extent. And I do believe that if, if there is anything at work in the world that could be God, that like, maybe, maybe something happened here. I don't know. It just, it just feels good to think of it that way. And Matt himself was very religious and Matt believed in God. So I think it's okay. appropriate. Yeah. I, th- I think it's appropriate because he did have those beliefs. Um, yeah, I agree with you. I agree. So finally, what ended up happening was the family was faced with, you know, you have to decide, are you going to take him off life support? Um, and they didn't, they didn't want to have to make that decision. And Dennis and Judy and Logan, they were all sitting at Matt's bedside. And Dennis told him, you know what? You don't have to keep fighting anymore. It's okay. You can let go. I'm proud of you. And 
And Matt died that night at about 12.53 a.m. on his own. They didn't have to pull the plug on him. So, yeah, I got, yeah. I got teary it's when just, I read that. A, a, par- a, parent should, a parent should never have to bury their child. Absolutely not. I'm not, no. a, parent. I'm not a parent, but my dad, my dad has always told me for years, like, his biggest fear is, is that. And yeah, my mom's too. Her. My mom's too. I mean, I've seen, I've seen how my mom is when one of us is just injured, you know, or when, you know, when I, when I was in a car accident and my mom didn't know right away if I was okay or not, like she was so terrified, you know, I just, yeah, yeah, I just can't, I can't even begin to wrap my head around how that must feel. So Aaron and Russell, those fucking shitheads, they did try to cover up their crime a little bit. Um, I I guess after, no, this was before. So before they got into that street fight with those two other guys and then got caught, um, they had gone to the homes of their girlfriends and they had actually told their girlfriends what they had done. So Aaron McKinney's girlfriend was named Kristen Price. Russell Henderson's girlfriend was named Chastity, Chastity? Yeah, Chastity Baker. And um, the two girls actually ended up helping the guys uh, dispose of their bloody clothes. So, yeah. (laughs) And, um, And Price, McKinney's girlfriend, during her testimony at trial, she says that McKinney came home crying and screaming and covered in blood and told her, I'm pretty sure I just killed a faggot. So, yeah. He oh, was, my God. Okay. He was real fucking remorseful. Yeah. Um, yeah, but like I, super sad about it. Yeah. Like I said before, though, thankfully, you know, they had arrested them pretty quickly um, to, you know, because of the, of the fight. They had gotten caught and all that evidence was found in the car. When McKinney was arrested and questioned about the crime, he was very forthright about the details and referred to Matt as the gay or the fag. At one point, a detective asked if Matt had told them to stop and McKinney responded with, quote, well, yeah, he was getting the shit beat out of him, unquote. I hate him so much. Okay, no, I'm going to take that back. But <laughs> Real sad. Real yeah. sad. Ugh, it just makes me want to. Yeah. So they were initially charged with attempted murder, kidnapping and aggravated robbery. But after Matt died, the charges were upgraded to first degree murder, which meant that they were both eligible for the death penalty because they're in Wyoming. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and I'm not going to go through the whole trial, but, you know, as a lot of people know, um, Aaron McKinney did try to use the gay panic defense and oh I was my not God. Yeah, he did. He tried to use it. He tried to argue that because Matt had come on to him, it had triggered this rage inside of him um, because because allegedly he had you know been sexually abused as a child, and also just because I, I guess his you know the other thing with the gay panic defense is a lot of people argue it's not even it's not even if you have. Um, you know, sexual assault in your past. It's just because you're so opposed to it and your body is just so against it because it's so wrong that you act out that way. So they're basically like yeah. just justifying violent homophobia. I mean, it's exactly. just gross. It's just gross. Um, and But the judge, for his part, the judge was not having any of it. 
he, you know, he looked at the, uh, uh, he looked at the facts and he was like, you literally pretended to be gay to get Matt to trust you. So whatever he did, he did thinking that you were also gay. And, and that's not his fault. Also, like, you don't get to be mad at him for doing shit after you've just, like, kidnapped him. So, like, <laughs> it's just absolutely ridiculous. Um, eventually, of course, Henderson and McKinney were both found guilty. Um, Russell, from what I understand, Russell didn't really participate as much in, like, the actual beating but I mean, obviously, he was still there and it's still he's still just as guilty. Um, but I think that was why his sentence was converted to life without parole instead of the death penalty, because he was not okay. like a, a direct participant. Well, I mean, he was. But like I said, it, it was it was arguable that since he didn't beat Matt, like he wasn't the one who physically killed him. So I guess that's why they were like, he got life in prison. Um, but as far as McKinney goes, he was definitely up for the death penalty. And um, it, okay, I wasn't gonna, no, I'm not gonna do this right now. I'm gonna wait to do that. Okay, blah, 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 back up a little bit. So <laughs> like I said, McKinney, McKinney was up for the death penalty, but what happened was Judy and Dennis actually interfered on his behalf and they said that's not what Matt would have wanted. Um, they, okay. you know, yeah, they they basically Judy and Dennis played a huge, huge role in um, saving Aaron McKinney's life. So he can thank them for that. And I, I hope very, he's, very strong people, extremely strong people. I don't know if I would have been able to do that. <sighs> So there's just a few other things I wanted to mention. So during the trial and at Matt's funeral, members of the Westboro Baptist Church, those Oh, don't fuckers, even get me started on these people. Don't even I, get me started on oh, these people. Can you even fucking believe? So apparently this is something they do. They just like show up and picket the funerals of LGBTQ people. And they, they also- They did the Pulse nightclub shooting. Oh, fuck them. Fuck them. Oh, my God. That's the most disgusting thing I've ever heard. Okay. I'm fairly I, certain they did it at the after Sandy Hook as well. Don't quote oh, me Oh, they on did. That, but let me, you know. Actually, yeah. I, think they, I think they did. I think they did. Yeah, which that doesn't even make any sense. Like, what, what the fuck? I mean, none of it makes any sense. But at least, like, okay, you hate gays. All right. What, so what are you saying? You hate children now, too? The kids deserved it? Like, what the actual fuck? Like... Oh, it's it's just horrible. So they were led by this man named Fred Phelps, who I mean, Fred Phelps is just an absolute disgusting person. He has um, very extreme views against homosexuality and he protests the funerals of gay people, military veterans and disaster victims who he believed were killed as a sign of God's wrath upon humanity. So... He's the worst person alive. Um, uh, don't love that. No, he picketed Shepard's funeral with signs that said, Matt is burning in hell. God hates fags. Um, AIDS cures fags. There was a sign that said that. If you watch the protests, there are children in this crowd holding up signs that say, 
fags burn in hell and all of this horrible stuff. And it's like, why are you exposing your children to that? Like, that is just, are you yeah, fucking like kidding they'll, me? They'll yell about, they'll yell about Disney exposing their kids to a happily married gay couple, but then they'll say these incendiary, horrible things. Oh, it's just, it's just terrible. Um, but I do, you know, I do need to say though, so there was this woman, her name was Romaine Patterson. She was one of Matt's friends. And in response to the Westboro Baptist Church protesters, she and a bunch of other people wore white robes and gigantic wings so that they looked like angels and they surrounded the courthouse and they blocked the protesters. Um, and if you look up the pictures, it's absolutely incredible. It's these people in these white robes and, you know, they made wings out of cloth and I don't know how they like have them, the wings holding up. I don't know. Like, I don't know how they did this, but it looks, it just looks incredible. And it's just, it's just such a, sen a statement, I think, because the Westboro Baptist Church people are here, like saying in the name of God that Matt deserves to die because he was gay. And then you have this circle of angels protecting him. And it's just like, I don't know. But I just thought that was a really beautiful thing for them to do. Yeah, I just found the pictures. They're so beautiful. I think, yeah. I think that those, the angels, I think that that happened. I think that happens frequently. Oh, yeah, um, I think they do. I think that woman started an organization to do that at at the funerals of gay people who were being targeted by the Westboro Baptist Church. Like it's literally, yeah, she she made a, a whole thing out of it, which is absolutely incredible. Yeah, yeah, it's called Angel Action. Yep, I was right. That is so cool. Good for her. Um, but that, you know, unfortunately, that is not where the hate stopped. So um, Dennis and Judy, Matt's parents, they were like receiving death threats and stuff like that. When Dennis made a press conference speech after Matthew's funeral, he actually had to wear a bulletproof vest because they were worried that somebody might try to take a shot at him. Um, it was just it was really horrible. The the hospital where Matt had been kept, you know, um, after he was found, um, they received a lot of really horrible letters because the, the spoke, so I don't know what this guy's job is, but he's kind of like the, the spokesperson for the hospital or something like that. So he was the one who had like come on TV and announced when Matt died and he had like broken down crying when he was talking about it because he read a, a statement from Judy and Judy had been like, you know, I'm telling all parents right now, like, go home and hug your kids. And if you have a gay child that you have rejected, like, I really want you to think about, you know, what you're giving up and what you're throwing away. Like, my child isn't here, but you still have yours, you know, like you should reconcile with them yeah. and want to be in their life. And, and this guy had like broken down crying while he was reading that. So in response, the hospital got all of these horrible letters. And one of them was from this guy who called himself Jonas the Prophet. What a fucking loser. But <laughs> um, this guy, yeah, he writes, homosexuality is a sin condemned in all holy scripture. To speak out and condemn these perverted faggots is not hate speech, but adherence to the law of God. Shelter them if you will. Nothing but hellfire awaits them and you come judgment day. 
So that was like the kind of hate that they were having to combat while all of this was going on. And it was just absolutely disgusting. But at the same time, there was a lot of force for good going on. So many people came forward in support of LGBT rights. Um, in the documentary I watched, um, my, Matt Shepard is a friend of mine. They reported mm -hmm. that the same year that Matt died, 30 other LGBTQ people had also been murdered that year. Um, and they Gosh. had not, yeah, and they had not gotten a lot of media or news or press coverage or anything like that. And so Matt really became a symbol for all of these people who felt victimized and brutalized in, you know, a world that just, that didn't want to accept them. And it, you know, just so much good came out of it in a way, which is really a good thing. Um, so I mean, hate crime legislation was eventually passed. It took a really long time, unfortunately. But in 2009, Pre President Obama signed the uh, the Matthew Shepard and James Byrd Hate Crimes Prevention Act. So when this was okay. signed, in, yeah. So when this was signed into law, it, this basically says, you know, you cannot discriminate against anybody based on, you know, race, gender, sexual orientation. Um, religion, anything like that, like that is legally now considered a hate crime. Um, would Don't you miss having a president who took that kind of stuff seriously? <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> oh my goodness, yeah. And then of course, um, his mom and dad started the Matthew Shepard Foundation, which is a really, really great foundation that um, educates and does outreach and does advocacy programs for gay youth all around America and all around the world, really. Bill Clinton actually, <laughs> he actually reached out to the shepherds while they were at the hospital. He like called the hospital that Matthew was at while he was there and asked to talk to them. And he like, apparently he like took this very, very seriously. And on the day that Matthew died, he did a press conference from the White House and he made this big speech about how, you know, um, intolerance and hatred are not American values and they will not be, you know, we won't stand for them anymore and we have to protect people and no one should be discriminated against or, or hurt because of who they are. And like for the time, that was pretty progressive, I think. I mean, I yeah, think it was a, seriously. Yeah. And I really, I had never known that Bill Clinton had done that. I always thought he was kind of a, I, didn't, I don't know. I just kind of, I never really, really liked him all that much. And that kind of was like, oh, that was nice of you, Bill. That's like one good thing you did. <laughs> good on you, Bill. All right. So I'm ready for, I'm ready for the sadness to begin. Um, so, <laughs> so this was Dennis Shepard's impact statement to the court. Um, on the day that Aaron McKinney was sentenced to life in prison. And impact statements are very common. I mean, it's usually family members getting to, you know, just say what they need to say, you know, and get their closure. Um, the impact statement, the original one is very, very long. <laughs> I shortened it quite a bit, but I'm going to read as much of it as I can and see, see how we do. So do you have it in front of you just in case I need you to take over? <laughs> Yes, I do, I do have it in front of me. <laughs> All right, great. Here we go. So, <clears throat> my son Matthew did not look like a winner. After all, he was small for his age. 
110 pounds and standing only five foot two inches tall. He was rather uncoordinated and wore braces from the age of 13 until the day he died. However, in his all too brief life, he proved that he was a winner. My son, a gentle, caring soul, proved that he was as tough as, if not tougher than, anyone I have ever heard of or known. Matt's gift was people. He loved being with people, helping people and making others feel good. The hope of a better world, free of harassment and discrimination, because a person was different, kept him motivated. All his life, he felt the stabs of discrimination. Because of that, he was sensitive to other people's feelings. He was naive to that extent. Regardless of the wrongs people did to him, he still had faith that they would change and become nice. Matt trusted people, perhaps too much. Matt loved people and he trusted them. He could never understand how one person could hurt another, physically or verbally. They would hurt him and he would give them another chance. This quality of seeing only good gave him friends around the world. He didn't see size, race, intelligence, sex, religion, or the hundred other things that people use to make choices about others. All he saw was the person. All he wanted was to make another person his friend. All he wanted was to make another person feel good. All he wanted was to be accepted as an equal. By the end of the beating, his body was just trying to survive. You left him out there by himself, but he wasn't alone. There were his lifelong friends with him, friends that he had grown up with. You're probably wondering who these friends were. First, he had the beautiful night sky with the same stars and moon that we used to look at through a telescope. Then he had the daylight and the sun to shine on him one more time, one more cool, wonderful autumn day in Wyoming. His last day alive in Wyoming, his last day alive in the state that he always proudly called home. And through it all, he was breathing in for the last time the smell of Wyoming sagebrush and the scent of pine trees from the snowy range. He heard the wind, the ever-present Wyoming wind, for the last time. He had one more friend with him. He had God. I feel better knowing he wasn't alone. My son died because of your ignorance and intolerance. I can't bring him back, but I can do my best to see that this never ever happens to another person or another family again. As I mentioned earlier, my son has become a symbol, a symbol against hate and people like you, a symbol for encouraging respect for individuality, for appreciating that someone is different, for tolerance. I miss my son, but I'm proud to be able to say that he is my son. I too believe in the death penalty. I would like nothing better than to see you die, Mr. McKinney. However, this is the time to begin the healing process to show mercy to someone who refused to show any mercy. Can you take over, please? <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. Um, to use this as the first step in my own closure about losing Matt. Mr. McKinney, I am not doing this because of your family. I am definitely not doing this because of the crass and unwarranted pressures put on by the religious community. If anything, that hardens my resolve to see you die. Mr. McKinney, I am going to grant you life, as hard as that is for me to do, because of Matthew. Every time you celebrate Christmas, a birthday, or the 4th of July, remember that Matt isn't. Every time that you wake up in that prison cell, remember that you had the opportunity and the ability to stop your actions that night. Every time that you see your cellmate, remember that you had a choice. And now you are living that choice. You robbed me of something very precious, and I will never forgive you for that. Mr. McKinney, I give you life in the memory of one who no longer lives. 
May you have a long life and may you thank Matthew every day for it. Special thanks to my brilliant, beautiful friend, Becca, for all the time and effort she put into this episode with me. I literally couldn't have done it without you. Um, if you want to follow her on Instagram, her Insta handle is at Mama Bex, spelled M-A-M-A-B-E-C-S. Um, she's the best, so I definitely encourage you to follow her. Um, if you want to learn more about Matt and how you can help work for the equality, safety, and dignity of all LGBTQ plus individuals, please visit MatthewShepard.com. Finally, happy pride to all my listeners and supporters out there, especially those in the LGBTQ community. Uh, I wish Matthew could see everything you fought for and won, the better and brighter world you are all creating every day together. He would have been very proud of you. Matt, you are still so missed and so loved. We will continue to remember you and fight for you always. That's all for this episode of Hear No Evil. Stay safe. I'll see you next week.